Welcome to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson, and I'm joined by MNN's Bill Werner, Tasha Radel, and Mike Grimm. We're going to delve into what's going on in the North Star State. If it matters in Minnesota, we've got it covered. This week, protecting the state bird, a Minnesota driver takes the wheel of the Oscar Mayer Wienermobile and a mid-season progress report on the Minnesota Twins. But first, there was much celebration at the Minnesota Capitol this week as a new state law took effect to amp up the battle against opioid addiction. One of its most notable features, increased funding for prevention and treatment programs coming from a fee on opioid manufacturers. Bill Werner has more. As of today, this is the law. <laughs> Governor Tim Walz invited advocates, including those who have lost loved ones, to the Capitol for a ceremonial re-signing of the bill. Hopefully reducing uh, opioid deaths, uh, educating Minnesotans about this, and hopefully in the future, avoiding the tragedy that some of the folks up here. Lieutenant Governor Peggy Flanagan added, I am incredibly grateful to the bill authors um, and the advocates, and in particular to the moms who put in the work and um, because of their love for their children, that deep, fierce mom love Um, that we may be able to prevent tragedies from affecting other families across Minnesota. There were plenty of smiles and cheers as the new opioid law took effect, but also some tears. Lexi Reed Holtam with the Steve Rumler Hope Network. I'm just really blown away by the fact that we got it done. And um, today, and I've never been so proud in my life to work with such a dedicated team of people all the way around this room, everywhere I look, are people that showed up because they are committed to making sure that we have better public health and safety in our state. And I will tell you this much, we have 20 different states that we're helping to pass a similar legislation in their states right now because what we did here is a first. And everybody should be just (laughs) tremendously proud. Today is the eight-year anniversary today of Steve's death. And he was my fiancé, and rather than planning our wedding, I ended up planning his funeral. And it is just such an honor and a privilege to get to do this work with all of you. And I'm so humbled and so grateful. And I can't even tell you, the house led by these women is just blows my mind at how proud I am. That's Lexi Reed Holtam with the Steve Rumler Hope Network. Shelly Elkington lost her daughter to an opioid overdose and shared her mixed feelings as the new law took effect. Mostly gratitude today. I wasn't going to cry. <laughs> but I'm also exhausted. Um, it's an exhausting process navigating a political system that's a little bit more geared towards people who are used to it than people who are not. But I really want to encourage citizen advocates to show up and to come down here. From day one, it was, the message was clear that we were going to hold Big Pharma accountable in the state of Minnesota. That message was never lost. It wasn't easy. It was a Goliath industry. There were, there were times I was afraid. I'm not going to lie. My husband would be afraid, saying, are you sure? Are you sure this is what you should be doing? And I said, somebody has to do it. We have to do it. And they tried hard, just like 
Speaker Hartman said, they were here every day. We were here. We knew who they were. We could see them. And they knew who we were. But you know what? That farm agreed stole my daughter from me. They stole a future. They stole a generation from us. They are responsible. And the work we did here is the result of determination, perseverance, anger, grief, and passion. Without that, this could not have happened. Shelley Elkington. Advocates stress the new law is only the first step. Democratic Representative Liz Olson from Duluth shepherded the bill through the Minnesota House. One of the things we did not capture in the funding mechanism this, of this was the opioid uh, distributors, which play a big part in this as well and are something that we left on the table in the compromise. And I think there's a set of folks that are very interested in, in going back and approaching that again next session. Republican Representative Dave Baker from Wilmer, who lost a son to opioid addiction, was a strong advocate for the new law right from the start. He attended a national meeting recently and says there are, as he puts it, some really neat ideas in other states that he's bringing back to Minnesota. Plus, he says others were extremely interested in Minnesota's new law. How do you spend the money? What kind of pushback did you have from these pharmaceutical companies? That is what's a big fear for a lot of folks, and I get that. It was a big battle. As part of the new law, the state is giving doctors a heads up if they are prescribing opioid painkillers more than other providers. Human Services Commissioner Tony Laurie. Prescribers really stepped forward and owned uh, the fact that, you know, prescriptions, prescribed opioids is a, a real driver in our uh, opioid crisis that we're uh, experiencing in Minnesota and across the country. Um, and they're really uh, helped us collaboratively try to build a, a set of protocols that will help make sure that we're using opioids um, only when absolutely necessary and the smallest dose and the lowest number of days and really trying to get away from that practice that drove a lot of um, the addiction issues that we have around the state. Commissioner Laurie says next year, if a provider is still prescribing disproportionate amounts of opioid painkillers, they will have to submit a plan to improve their practices. And if there's no improvement the year after that, a provider could be barred from serving Medicaid patients. But Lori says... It's my hope that we don't have to do any of that um, because I think that most prescribers actually are really wanting this type of advice and this type of, um, you know, peer support to understand what the right approach is when we have to use opioids. That's State Human Services Commissioner Tony Laurie. And Scott, an important fact to note is that opioid prescription rates vary widely across Minnesota. In one county, for example, doctors issued about 27 opioid prescriptions per 100 residents. In another Minnesota county, that figure was nearly 99 Pretty much one per every person in that county, Commissioner Laurie says. Thank you, Bill. Minnesota Matters returns after this. Last night we put on an epic light show. Yeah, we did. The crowd loved us. We love the crowd. Wait, but there were only four people out there. Yeah, but did you see their four faces? All eight of their eyes lit up brighter than ours. <sighs> and we're fireflies. Yeah, we Hey, that one girl, she looked like she'd never seen glow-in-the-dark like this before, and we invented glow-in-the-dark. Yeah, we invented it. And we're going to be out here every night rocking out our light show at a forest near you. Woohoo! So come check us out. Check us out. And bring your kid all-ages show. Oh, but uh, don't bring any of those glass jars because they make us kind of nervous. Yeah, and I'm super claustrophobic. Whether you're rocking their world or they're rocking yours, some memories never fade. 
Come alive with the forest. Visit discovertheforest.org to find a forest near you and discover other cool things to do when you go, like fishing, biking, or even camping. Visit discovertheforest.org. See you later. Yeah, see you soon. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. The Minnesota DNR is reminding boaters to watch for loons during the busy summer boating season. Tasha Radel has more. Watercraft are a significant cause of loon mortality. Loons frequently nest and rear their young in areas where boats move at higher speeds. Joining me now is Lori Nauman, Information Officer with the Non-Game Wildlife Program with the Minnesota DNR. Lori, let's talk about your message uh, this summer. Yes, well, we try to remind folks every summer, um, particularly around the 4th of July, because it's a very sensitive time for loons. They are with their chicks this time of the year, and um, many of them are just starting to climb off of their parents' backs and floating around in the water on their own, and they're so tiny, they're easy to miss. And so when folks are out recreating using boats or jet skis, um, a lot of times it's, you know, too late once they run over the top of them. So we're just asking folks to keep an eye out for them, adults and chicks, because adults, even when they're under the water fishing um, or swimming, they too become obviously very hard to see in the water. And um, many loons do get injured from propellers every year. And, you know, let's say worst-case scenario where a loon is injured, do you encourage folks to contact the DNR? Is this just kind of the circle of life, I guess? Well, yes, we do encourage folks to contact the DNR. There are some cases in which they can be rescued and saved. Um, We usually want to know about that, yes, and they can be successfully rehabilitated, and we have a network of wildlife rehabilitators around the state who can and are able to rehabilitate loons. Lori, let's switch gears a little bit. Uh, Let's talk about uh, the state's loon population. Do we track these birds? We do. Um, We have a a volunteer program that that counts the population of loons, and that is actually starting um, this week. And so volunteers will be out on a number of um, index lakes in the state, um, of, of which we have been counting loons on, or the, the volunteers have been counting loons on for the past 40 years. We do have a very robust um, data set that shows that our population is stable at about 12,000 loons. And that's even since the Deepwater Horizon oil spill, and we know that some of our loons were in the Gulf during that time. The other thing that I'd like to mention is that loons are also susceptible to uh, lead poisoning and fishing tackle. So it's very important for folks to try not to leave lead in the environment when they're using lead um, for sinkers um, and remind folks that there are non-lead alternatives. Thanks again to my guest, Lori Nauman, an information officer with the Non-Game Wildlife Program with the Minnesota DNR. Scott, before I turn it back to you, I do have a little bit of loon trivia. And uh, up for the task this week was Minnesota News Network Sports Director Mike Grimm. 
So, Mike, only one state has more loons than Minnesota. What state is that? That's Well, let's see. So they go to the Gulf of Mexico from here in the winter. So I'm going to say it would either likely be Texas or Louisiana. So I'll guess Texas because it's got a lot of coastline and it's a big state. Nope, you're wrong. Guess again. Um, it's neither Texas nor Louisiana. So how about Mississippi or Alabama? You're wrong again. Alaska. Wow, Alaska. Lots of area. So tell me, how fast do you think a loon can fly? A loon can fly, let's see, the fastest of all humans can run like 25 to 30 miles an hour. So I'm going to say 35 miles an hour a loon can fly faster than a human can run. Nope, you're wrong again. You're not going to believe this. 75 miles per hour. It's like you on the highway. Right. I drive like a grandma. All right. Why uh, do loons have red eyes? Heavy nights of drinking. <laughs> That's a good one. No, try again. Um, they got poked in the eye by a fish. Okay, that that's believable. Try again. I'm going to say it helps them uh, zoom in on things underwater. It's like infrared vision. Awesome. You got that right. Good job. All right, my last question. I know you got to get going. Um, how long can a loon live for? Loons can live like family pets, probably. I'm going to say 15 to 20 years. Nope, get this. Scientists think loons can live for 30 years or more. Old birds. There you have it, Scott. Back to you. Thank you, Tasha. Minnesota Matters returns after this. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. One of the six iconic Oscar Mayer Wienermobiles that travels the country will be piloted by a Minnesota native this summer. Reporter J.W. Cox caught up with Carly Kempshen, or as she's known on the road this summer, Carly G., the hot dog queen. Like many of us, Kempshen's awareness of the Wienermobile came at a young age. I was probably about seven or eight. I remember I saw the Wienermobile with my dad just driving around, and he looked at me and said, hey, this is a job you can have in college. And just kind of laughed, and I laughed it off. And he was actually incorrect. You have to have a college degree for this job. But he was kind of in in the ballpark with that. Um, So I kind of logged it in the back of my mind, thought, you know, this is my dad just being silly, whatever. And then after I graduated from the University of Iowa this past December, um, my dad sent me the job description and said, hey, you're weirdly qualified for this. They're looking for people with backgrounds in journalism, PR, marketing, which is what I studied just kind of fun-loving people that want to go on one big adventure for a year. So it was really my dad that pushed me, but I'm so glad that he did. After the St. Paul native was selected from a pool of thousands, Kim Shin reported to Madison, Wisconsin, to learn exactly what her summer would entail. We started off at the beginning of June in Madison, Wisconsin, with what we like to call Hot Dog High. So it's two weeks of pretty intense training, uh, we learn all the policies, all of the things that go into the Wienermobile program, what we stand for, our mission, all of that. And then we spend a huge amount of time with the Madison Police Department learning how to drive the vehicles. We go through a series of super intense drills to make sure that we are ready to get on the road. Part of the training also included getting used to being behind the wheel of a giant hot dog on a bun. In terms of physically driving, it's very similar to a large SUV 
our training was pretty rigorous, so we got to kind of learn the ins and outs of the vehicle a little bit better. When it comes to driving, like, this specific vehicle, though, people on the road get super, super excited. There will be a lot of people that will pull their phones out, take photos, videos. People will wave at us. My partner and I decided the other day that our personal favorite thing is when people just stick their arm out the window with a big thumbs up, just kind of acknowledging us and what we're doing but not actually being unsafe and driving with their phones. But it's pretty cool to see how excited people get when they're just driving and see the Wienermobile out of nowhere and get super excited to see us. From Hot Dog High, Kim Shin and her mates were unleashed to cover the country with summer fun. There are six Wienermobiles, and each of them are assigned their own region. So my region is the Northeast. There's one in the Midwest, which would probably be the one that would visit Minneapolis. Um, there's one in the southeast, one in the west. Each day when Kimshin wakes up, she's not sure who or what her iconic ride will bring her into contact with. There is no typical day, let me tell you. Generally, one day a week we will have what's called a drive day. So we will go from one one city to another. So, for example, this past Monday, we, my partner and I drove from Toledo, Ohio to Edison, New Jersey, which was pretty long. It was actually nine hours. Tuesday and Wednesday, we generally have off. We can explore the city that we're in. And then Thursday through Sunday, we will go to events. Uh, Sometimes they're at grocery stores uh, where we just kind of park the Wienermobile outside. We have a really fun photo experience this year where people can dress up in all kinds of fun. We have feather boas and top hats and all that stuff. And we also go to other community events. So we were just in a parade last week. Um, we're going to, my partner and I are going to a hot dog themed wedding, so all kinds of different things, but a typical, there's no such thing as a typical day. <laughs> that unique nature of each day brought Kimshin and her traveling partner their highlight of the summer so far. My partner and I were driving on this rural New Jersey road and we saw this huge sign that said Johnny's Hot Dogs. And so we were like, oh yeah, of course, we have to go pull in the parking lot and grab a hot dog for dinner. So we pulled in the parking lot, surprised all the families that were there eating dinner, um, and it was it was really cool to just bring them that joy of seeing the Wienermobile. We had a grandma with her grandkids come up to us and said, I remember when I saw the Wienermobile and I got a wiener whistle, and now my grandkids are getting to experience it. So at a time where we were kind of like running on low and we were just ready to be done for the day, we had something come out of nowhere that just completely brought us joy and others joy as well. Oh, and the most important note, what goes on the hot dog of Carly G, the hot dog queen? I'm a ketchup, mustard, and onions gal. For this reporter, the perfect dog actually starts with mayo, then top it off with mustard and relish. Scott, what about you? I'm glad you asked, JW. I guess I'm partial to a Chicago dog, or in a bind, I would just go with uh, regular mustard. Thanks so much for that report. Minnesota Matters returns after this. Adopt U.S. Kids presents Multiple Choice Parenting. Your daughter just had her first breakup. Do you, A, put yourself in her shoes? How could he do this to you? And for Sheila... She has split ends. B. Console her. Oh, sweetie. 
This is going to happen a lot. Four, maybe five more times before you get married. C. Take charge. Got to get this all straightened out. Keep a little talking to, man to man, mano a mano. Hey, Steve. Is now a good time? No? Okay, no problem. Bye. Or D. Help her find a new boyfriend. I know a great place to meet boys. The internet. Nice, single boys. Never mind. How about some ice cream? As a parent, there are no perfect answers. But you don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. Thousands of teens in foster care will love you just the same. For more information on how you can adopt, visit AdoptUSKids.org. A public service announcement from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, AdoptUSKids, and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. The Minnesota Twins head into next week's Major League Baseball All-Star Game, leading the American League Central Division. MNN Sports Director Mike Grimm sat down with Aaron Gleeman, Editor-in-Chief of Baseball Prospectus, to give us a midsummer update for Minnesota Matters. Aaron, let's start. How offended should Twins fans be (laughs) that they had maybe three, four, up to five guys potentially snubbed in this All-Star Game coming up? A little bit. I think... With that said, part of the strength of this team has been depth. Up and down the lineup, they have seven, eight, sometimes nine guys when they're healthy who are average or better. It's not so much they have a Mike Trout type or a Bryce Harper type, some superstar guy. It's that everyone is contributing. Now, with that said, typically you have one of the best records in baseball and you lead the league in run scoring at the All-Star break. You have more than one hitter in the All-Star, t- All-Star game. Polanco, absolutely deserving. I think realistically you could make a case for five other position players. I certainly think in addition to Odorizzi, Barrios could have made the team on the pitching side and maybe even Taylor Rogers. although the bullpen's tricky to to crack for the All-Star game. So I'm surprised they only got two. With that said, I don't know that you can point to any individual guy and go, this is just absolutely ridiculous. I think it's they have seven or eight guys who are kind of a coin flip to make it. You got Rosario and Kepler, though, right? I yep. think maybe those two are the two biggest snubs, yep. particularly when you look at who made the outfield spot. Right. I mean, they're having better years than Mookie Betts, for sure. Right. Right? They're having better year than probably Austin Meadows from the Rays, and neither of those teams, neither of that situation was one of those deals where you had to get that guy in because they were the only guy on the team. Right. I mean, the Twins have been on the other side of that where, for many years, they would get, <laughs> no offense to Ron Coomer, but Ron Coomer would be a <laughs> right. great guy, but he would be their all-star because they had to have an all-star. And so now it is odd to say... Well, now they have the second-best record in the league. They've been out front all season, and they still only get they get one more than they get automatically. It is a little odd. I think in the case of Betts, that's a you know reigning MVP. You get a little more leeway. The All-Star game is always tricky because it's how much do you weigh just the first half versus how much do you weigh a guy's track record. Mm-hmm. Austin Meadows only has a first half because he's a rookie. Mookie Betts, you know Mookie Betts is an All-Star, so even if he's having a little bit of a down year. Now, with that said, Rosario's been roughly this good now for three years. Mm -hmm. He almost made the All-Star team last year. Kepler has broken out after three kind of mediocre years. So in a way, I kind of get why they were overlooked a little bit. But, yeah, if if any of those guys – Cruz, Buxton, C.J. Crone was a finalist at first base. Even someone like Garver at catcher, which is not a position where you put up big offensive numbers – Tossing Barrios, any of those guys I think could have made it. I'm still holding out some hope that one of them might get named as an injury replacement. Right, and as you mentioned, Betts is, I mean, he at this game, you want you want some headliners too, right. and he's certainly one of the headliners. Process-wise, this has changed over the years. It used to be fans, I remember sitting in the Metrodome, yeah, you'd pull coals out, out there, yeah. you'd have a hanging chad maybe, right? <laughs> yeah. People that are our age might know, get that reference yeah. of a hanging chad, but um, now it's a little bit different. Um, and how much, say, 
did the Boston Red Sox manager have in how many guys can be on his team, and how right. did the fan vote, the player vote, and all that play? Well, into so effect? now from the fan vote, they have like several levels. So you become a finalist, which several twins, as we just mentioned, were a final. Like CJ Crone was a finalist at first base among the last three, and then it's also broken out. There's managers' choices, like you just referenced, and there's also a players' ballot that they submit. I think a couple weeks ago they turned it in, where they are voting sort of like the fans, except they're doing a ranked ballot. So they're ranking like the top three first basemen. It gets tricky because when you have sort of different methods of voting that all kind of pool into the same water there, you get, you know, incongruous results. So I don't know. It's a little strange. I think ultimately they've done a better job than, let's say, 10 years ago or certainly 30 or 40 years ago at picking deserving all-stars. They've also expanded the roster, which makes me think – is there really such thing as a huge all-star snub at this point when they're taking 32 players? Right. But it's a, let's say this. It is a very good thing that there are enough Minnesota Twins fans engaged with this current version of the team who are up in arms about not getting five or six because uh, several years ago you could have told them, you know what, we're waiving the one-per-team rule. You guys aren't getting any all-stars, and I think most Twins fans would have been like, yeah, we don't really deserve any all-stars. <laughs> we head into the all-star break next week. Coming out of the all-star break, you head toward the end of July, the trade deadline. This is a team that certainly at this point you'd have to say is you know on obviously on track to win a division. Can they expand that and take a look at a hard run at making a run in the postseason? And if so, where areas of need? I mean, I think fans have their ideas. Do the numbers bear out what the fans think? I think they're pretty set in the lineup. Not only do they have the best lineup in baseball so far, but we've seen they've been injured quite a bit. They've been missing one or two guys pretty much for the last month and a half, and things just keep chugging along. The depth that they have there, I think, makes it so that you know you might explore some some hitters, but you don't need to add a hitter. I think they certainly need to add one or maybe two late-inning relievers. It's been the Taylor Rogers show so far, and you can only lean on him so much. Uh, I think the the more interesting question to me is, what do you need to do with the rotation, if anything? In a, in a normal situation where you were maybe a game up on Cleveland, you say, oh, maybe we can improve the fourth spot or the fifth spot. But if you're looking ahead to the playoffs, the fourth and fifth spot aren't factors. They're not going to pitch in a playoff series. You use three starters maybe once once in a while you'll need a fourth starter. So then the question becomes, well, you're only targeting guys who are definitely better than, let's say, Kyle Gibson. Now, what you think about Kyle Gibson may vary from fan to fan, but that's a higher bar than just we need a decent And the cost starter. goes up. And the cost goes up. So if you talk about someone like Max Scherzer or Jacob deGrom or Noah Syndergaard from the Mets or, or Marcus Stroman from the Blue Jays or Madison Bumgarner from the Giants, they're going to cost a lot. And the Twins have the, the farm system in place to get that done, and they, they have the clean payroll going forward to add a big salary. But we've not seen a Twins team in my lifetime – I'm getting up there. I'm in my mid-30s. Go out there and really break the bank on a huge mid-season move. And we've also we've not seen this front office be true buyers at this point. So it's, it's very tricky to try to predict what's going to happen. But I, I would be shocked if they do not add at least one high-end reliever at the very least. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've added, uh, you guys have added a, a midweek podcast and uh, obviously your normal stuff as well. Give everyone an update on all the things they can track you with. Yeah, just go to uh, gleemanandthegeek.com or Google Gleeman and the Geek. Wherever you get your podcast, we do a, a Sunday show. Uh, that is free to download. And then if you want even more Twins Talk, you can go to patreon.com slash Gleeman, and we do a bit, bunch of midweek episodes for a buck apiece. But Gleeman and the Geek uh, in general, come uh, come listen to us talk Twins. It's been fun. Thank you. Anytime. That's MNN Sports Director Mike Grimm with the Editor-in-Chief of Baseball Prospectus, Aaron Gleeman. Also from gleemanandthegeek.com. 
That's going to do it for this week. Thank you so much for listening, and please tune in again next week for Minnesota Matters on this MNN station.